Hell of a book. It's about bunnies. Season one is still over, and yet here we are going back once again on Down the Hatch, the Lost Rewatch podcast here on Poster Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Mike Bloom on a very early morning, a Tuesday morning that we are recording uh, the first of two Lost podcasts we will be recording today. Mike Bloom. Aeroplane in the sky. Daily's <laughs> go bye-bye. Oh, oh, oh. Down the hatch, it's quite a catch. He's lost his book club. I can read anywhere. Unless it's, unless it's Watership Down. <laughs> unless it's Watership Down, in which case I can't read. <laughs> Apparently I can't read. But all the same. But you don't have to take our word for it. Yeah, yeah. And I do have glasses, so I can't even complain about my vision. Um, I mean, I guess I could, but I'm doing something about it. Uh, but this is the Lost Season 1 Book Club Spectacular! Uh, famously, once upon a time, when the frozen donkey wheel was still in play, we rolled uh, a book club podcast we were supposed to to read watership down and by we i mean me because i was like mike you don't have to do this i'll do this and mike you're like yeah cool totally just go do that on your own i was like oh i kind of wish that you had said you would do it too uh but you didn't you're a good man you're sticking to your principles i on the other hand am a bad man who did not read Watership Down, had many occasions to read Watership Down. I had two separate 12-hour flights across the world, and I didn't read a single sentence of Watership Down on either of those flights uh, because I was too busy uh, dithering around on the internet. Um, and so we're, we're kind of, Mike and I were talking, we're like, is this guy ever going to read the book? Is, he, is it ever going to happen? We're going to be on this podcast for 16 years. Is he going to read Watership Down, or should we maybe pivot the plan a little bit? And pivot we did. Pivot we did. So pivot we did. And what we're going to do here is we're going to talk about Watership Down, not just Watership Down, but several of the other books that are referenced in the first season of Lost. We're going to use this as one last shot to reflect on everything that's happened in Lost so far through this point that we are at on down the hatch and we're even going to look ahead to season two a little bit in terms of the literary references that are littered all throughout lost and we are not alone there is an other other on the podcast with us this week you get to listen to him on down the hatch regularly through mike bloom's voice and mine because he is a prolific contributor to the others feedback section on down the hatch and here he is in the flesh the great Jonathan Krause. John, how you doing? 
Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Mike. Does this make me LeVar Burton? Because if so, <laughs> uh, I'm already on board. What's a, what's just like so you know, your John, we're going to have to situation. yeah, we're going to have to take away your vision if that's the case. <laughs> and that's gonna oh, be, so yeah. we're, we're already doing Star Trek crossovers. Yeah, so, uh, so it's not so even sit down, fifteen in the morning. Sit, I love it. Sit down. We're we're going to strap you in for a quick little procedure, and then you're our LeVar Burton. You know what? That's okay because uh, Jordy is able to see even to other spectrums, uh, even though he can't see in the visual spectrum. And so maybe that will help me, you know, deep dive even deeper into the literary references that we're about to make right here. What do you think is who's the Jordy of Lost? Is it Claire, considering how much she gets kidnapped or taken or like generally left in a victim-based situation? Mm. That's a, that's <laughs> well, a good I, question. I think it has to do with who has the least amount of friends, right? Because Jordy famously has to make his own friends, right? Or so, slash fall in love with simulations and then make it really awkward when the actual person shows up. Yeah. So, like, who's the who's the person on Lost that talks to people that aren't really there? Uh, you know, uh, maybe mm. maybe Hurley sees people who aren't really there. But you know, he has it, lots it, of real it could friends. be a Miles type of thing where like he's really good at what he does, but like it's very clear his social skills are not completely there. Yeah, I could see that. I kind of like my gut says Ben Linus for some reason. Wow. We're really bagging on Jordy LaForge pretty early in the morning here. This is a surprise to me. I didn't expect we we're going to just really dunk on Jordy. Well, this is I think this is good because what we just did was we took a lost reference and then made a reference through books to reading Rainbow to LeVar Burton and then to Star and, Trek. And, and then back and then back to Lost because, because And that's what literary references are all about. That's kind of what we're gonna be doing um throughout this discussion today. So I think that we're we're already on the right track. All right, so so a few things. Uh John, Mike and I know you. We know who you are. First time on a podcast with you, John, at least for me. I don't know if it's the same for, yeah, for same Bloom. same for me as well. So that's exciting. Very fun. We've been Twitter friends for a very long time, so this is great. Yeah, this is I I met Mike uh at one of the RHAP meetups in yeah. New York a couple of years ago and I know that at one point we were in the same building uh Joshua but I was not able to track you down. So yeah, we were oceans apart. Time. Yeah, on yeah. the somewhere across the sea, right? Uh but yeah, but so who am I? So if you if you don't know who I am, um I've been a part of this community both RHAP and sort of uh post show recaps for several years now. I think I first started listening um when I was living in China in 2015. Um but I started doing some of the podcasts, mostly Big Brother podcasts uh in late 2016. Um and then life kind of gets in the way and and scheduling was difficult and I looked it up actually and I think April 15th, 2018 was the last time that I officially wow. sat down to do a recording so that's not so too bad almost two also, years now i would also recommend anyone and this is it's not even like a timely podcast but anyone who's a reality tv fan john did a fascinating breakdown with taryn armstrong during big brother 19 about sort of the psychology of cults and how yeah. it sort of makes its way into reality television again it was sort of based on the events of that season but i feel like it really applies to a lot of stuff that we like to partake in outside of law. So I, if people are interested in that subject, I heavily, heavily encourage people to check that out because obviously John knows his stuff. Thank uh, you. It's, it's weird. I would never say that I'm like even remotely popular or famous, but that is one that occasionally on Twitter, someone will be like, Hey, I heard through the grapevine that you did this thing. Can you send me a link to that? That's like, if I'm known for anything around here, that's probably what it is. Speaking of grapevines, didn't you also do like the Drunkest Survivor Moments podcast? Yes, as well? I did. Yeah, I also was did a top ten nude moments uh, <laughs> with Rob. Okay, we'll we'll save you for the top ten almost nude moments of Lost. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say one of them was probably the one that was mentioned in the intro, right? Yeah, isn't that Sawyer emerging from the water, just like long donging it as he's talking about Watership Down? 
Yes, it is. Which is actually uh, how I read Watership Down. Um, just completely <laughs> in, in the, the ocean. Better yeah. that than swimming in jeans. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. All right, John. So what are we going to do here? Talk us through the format for the podcast this week. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this had been an idea like that you guys had kind of had. And and I was talking behind the scenes a little bit, man behind the curtain style uh, about what we were going to do. And like you said earlier, this is we were originally just going to talk about Watership Down. But um, but I can't read. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, you know, so you'll read for me. Sometimes we have to change things up. So we're going to basically talk today about um, all of the books that were seen or or mentioned on Lost Season 1, how and if they relate to the show. And um, if, if anyone's taken English classes before, like, you know, you can you can make references fit. So we're going to see how well these books fit in with sort of the Lost mythology. Um, and then what, what I'll do, and, and maybe, maybe Mike, uh, because I know that uh, Josh won't be able to partake in this part of the conversation, but we'll recommend if the books are worth reading or not. Uh, and then we'll also talk about just literary references on the show. So like books that maybe people quoted or books that have thematic similarities. Uh, and we'll kind of go in order of like most obvious reference. Like at one point, Hurley mentions Harry Potter. So yeah, we're going to talk about Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Uh, and then we're going to head towards sort of less obvious ones, like um, some Jules Verne that may or may not mm. have thematic similarities, even if they weren't directly now, referenced. The, the only the Jules and Verne that I know are Doc Brown's children uh, at the end of Back to the Future. Oh, I was going to say the only Jules I know are the ones apparently buried at the bottom of the waterfall right now that Nikki and Paolo are after. Right. Soon to be buried alongside Nikki and Paolo in uh, the riveting hour of television known as Expose. Hashtag Razzle Dazzle. <laughs> we're, we're not there yet. This we're is, not there yet. If uh, if today goes well, if people enjoy this, then we will we will do similar ones for season two and three. So eventually when we get to season three, we can talk about the classic literary canon that Nikki and Paolo but know, we'll, fit into. We'll also we'll also plant a flag here, right? Like we'll 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 point out some of the books that may be showing up in season two. Maybe not talking at length yeah. about them, but um but at least highlighting some of the things that people should be looking out for. Uh yeah, definitely. Cool. That sounds fun. All right, so we're gonna do all of that today. Uh we've already talked a lot about Star Trek, ironically enough, uh, because we're actually this week sponsored by Star Trek Picard, our friends over at CBS All Access. Star Trek Picard, it's now streaming only on CBS All Access. A legend returns! Sir Patrick Stewart reprises his iconic role as Captain Jean-Luc Picard in the highly anticipated original series Star Trek Picard. Follow this hero on an unexpected mission as he travels into the far reaches of the galaxy and battles against the odds to fight for what's right. With help from a new crew of complicated, funny, and memorable characters, Picard's boundary-pushing adventure promises to extend the captain's legacy, defying expectations along the way. Stuart will also be joined by beloved cast members from across the Star Trek universe, including Brent Spiner, Jerry Ryan, and Jonathan Frakes. I don't believe there's been any uh, mention of LeVar Burton as Geordi LaForge returning for Star Trek Picard, but we can hope. Fingers are yeah. crossed over here. If you uh, if you read the pre-Picard comic book countdown, you will see an appearance from LeVar Burton, albeit in 2D form. So if you're okay. looking for your fix there. So he's still in there. the universe. He's still kicking around somewhere. So maybe season two, maybe season three. Uh, we'll, we'll see LeVar Burton again. For now, Brent Spiner, Jerry Ryan, Jonathan Frakes. That's a, that's a murderer's row of Star Trek icons coming to Star Trek Picard. The journey begins. So sign up today for CBS All Access by visiting cbs.com slash post show. That's cbs.com slash post show. You get your first week of CBS All Access for free and you can stream Star Trek Picard right now. 
Um, all right, John. Uh, maybe against our better judgment, we're just going to give you the frozen donkey wheel and let you steer us wherever you want to steer us. Uh, and Mike and I will be uh, merciless uh, hostages in your in your in your black rock that you're sailing us across the sea, just reading to us as we are bound and blindfolded. And I was going to say, womb. but you call us merciless hostages. It sounds like we're going to be very antagonistic towards him. Which I mean, don't be wrong. We're definitely probably going to still be our goofy, yeah, that's what uh, I mean, snarky yeah. people. But. That's what I mean. Is I don't think that we're going to be like. I think like it's going to be very tempting to just throw the hostages off the ship. Uh, but you can't do that. You'd have to really work on untying these knots, and you did a very good job. Saeed must have taught you. You know, I actually like to think of this as we are just kind of cruising around in the Dharma van uh, and, you know, just joking around. And oh, so my metaphor and... was a little darker than what you were thinking. <laughs> I think we're all buddies in a van. <laughs> okay. Just as merciless. Okay. Just as merciless. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, take us for a spin, John. All right. So uh, I think a great way to start about this is just to talk about the strong literary connection of Lost from sort of a big picture perspective, because it's like, who cares, right? Like books are dead. It's 2020 and the world is ending. But there's actually a good reason to do this. Uh, number one, like Damon because if the Carlton, world ends, you may find yourself being the last person standing and assuming your glasses don't break, you may have a treasure trove of stories to read for the rest of yeah, your time days. Enough at last. Exactly. Mm, I don't know, Josh. Jordan Peele didn't make that story, so it's not canonical Twilight Zone anymore. Uh, true, 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 true. Yeah, but either way, so uh, Damon and Carlton, they're both really well-read guys. If anyone uh, has gone into the archives of looking at old interviews or if anyone is like a day one fan and, you know, back in the early aughts, were like looking for any information on the show and where it was going. Um, Damon and Carlton both reference books a lot in their interviews, um, both in terms of inspiration for the show, but also just stuff that they're interested in, um, you know, fate. As fate would have it, right? Watchmen was something that both of them talk about a lot in terms of inspiration, uh, but also authors like uh, Stephen King, John Steinbeck, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, these are authors that they talk about a lot in their interviews. Um, and then also, like they specifically mentioned The Stand and the Dark Tower series by Stephen King as being um, like blueprints for the series. So even though this is a show that as you guys talk about uh many months ago now being brought out of like a meeting by CBS of like we got to get a survivor type show or a, a castaway type show um really from the from a showrunner perspective like books and literature um specifically classic american literature and sci-fi books um really like fit into the backbone of the series. Yeah, and I think that it's it's we've covered this as well is part of season one was how do you camouflage that stuff? And my instinct is a lot of this becomes more overt the deeper we go into Lost. But I'm sure, mm -hmm. as, we'll, as we'll cover here, not just the fact that a lot of these books are literally dropped into the conversation here in season one, um, but I'm sure a lot of the themes already, especially as the show gets more confident um, you know, I think I, I, it's funny because I think that the show gets more confident in the second half of the first season, even though I think the first half of the season is stronger overall. But that's because right. of this sort of like panicky primal need to like, we got to write, go, 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 go. We can't screw this up. And then once they take a breath, once the show's a success, 
they shore up and they 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 get themselves back together. They really being Damon <laughs> at this point. Uh, there's some sea changes in the writers' room, and Carlton Cuse comes in um, as a veteran showrunner who is really able to provide some sanity and stability to to Mr. Lindelof at that point. And that's what I mean by the show getting more confident. And as you move into season two, obviously the show gets so confident that we can literally go down the hatch and have a bunker on the island with a man pushing a button every 108 minutes. Um, but I think that. Even in that front half of season one, and certainly in the back half of season one, you're seeing a lot of these literary references threading through with each other. Right, and I would also say that they're very different literary references, and I think it's sort of, again, we're gonna, we might be foreshadowing what's to come down the hatch on a bookshelf later on in this podcast, but I feel like almost the, the book choices shift with the paradigm shift of the show. You know, we're still going to be living in Lost as a general umbrella concept, but I think it, it makes a general pivot into more of a sci-fi type of thing, whereas I'm sure the books that John is going to go into are less of that variety and more so like the aforementioned Watership Down, uh, you know, talking about Heart of Darkness, these more mm-hmm. primal humanity-based uh, literature rather than actually pulling concepts that, you know, take very fantastical ideas about what, what we can do in this world, which is definitely more so what Seasons 2 Plus look at. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, the the other fun thing about, at least in my opinion, kind of doing one of these discussions is like, because the showrunners are so well read and because we're dealing with such big themes here, um, specifically in season one, like philosophical themes. But as the show goes on, we start talking about big genre themes, like situating it in like a literary canon is is exciting because we have like time travel, right? Time travel becomes a thing in the show. Uh, like hardcore by season four, but there's already literary direct and indirect references to things like a brief history of time. By the time we get there, um, like ideas of alternate realities, uh, flashbacks, different points of view, right. um, all of these concepts are things that are grounded in, in literature. Like as much as we all, the three of us love lost a lot. Like they, they weren't the first people to come up with an idea. Like, what if there were differing points of view in a situation or what if we had a flashback that explained the thing or what if there was an alternate reality? And so like we situate the show in, in this canon, which is a word I'll use a lot today. Cause I like it. Um, and it, I think it elevates the show. It, it becomes more than just like fun, you know, Saturday morning viewing. Yeah. Now the, the fact that we've switched from the black rock to the van uh, for our metaphor of how we're cruising through this podcast Are there cannons in the van? Because if not, that's another reason maybe we want to have our crews on the Black Rock, because there's definitely cannons on the Black Rock. I think it matters once we see um, just how vicious uh, our critics are going to be. Okay. Yeah, merciless. Big defense, then uh, then we'll go back to the Black Rock for sure. Or we can can just like arm up our van for, for the next one. Yeah, let's get a bunch of arms from that pit of skeletons and throw them at our enemies. But I think it's funny because... You're, you're mentioning, John, how the, how the creators of the show are, are very well read. Uh, but that, that ends up translating to some of the characters on the show. Like this becomes like character traits for some of these people. Um, yeah. you know, I, I know that you've, you've mentioned, uh, Sawyer and we've mentioned Sawyer being, you know, one of the standouts from season one who's like always reading, which is such a fun, surprising trait about Sawyer. But he's not alone in, in, uh, characters on the show who, who are voracious readers. 
Yeah, and I think Mike actually kind of mentioned this a few minutes ago, where it's like, as we get through season one, and then as we introduce other characters later on, like, the writers get more comfortable with these characters. Uh, I don't have, I'm not going to pretend that I've ever written a TV show, but it's like when you, when you're creating characters, you have to figure out the big broad strokes first. So like with someone like Sawyer, it's like, oh, he's a liar. He's a con man. He's a villain, but maybe deep down he's a hero or whatever. But as you get more comfortable with these characters, you can start having these other sort of secondary traits. And these are the things that I think fans of of anything like that's what you when you cling on to a character right so yeah, ah, you get Klingons, Sawyer, we're keeping it yeah, up we're gonna i'm gonna tell you right now i'm, I'm vying for a, a guest spot on a star trek episode it's a Sunday. good day to read <laughs> yeah this is a warrior's book yeah but um so yeah later on in the show we get desmond right desmond is uh obsessed with charles dickens we'll talk about that a little bit at the end of today but that's more of a season two discussion um season three we get juliet who literally has a book a club. book club yeah the other book club compared to this book club, obviously. Um, but yeah, like Ben Linus, right? Um, he's always walking around with a book. Uh, once we start getting like flashbacks or flash forwards, and then eventually people end up off the island, we get people in their homes and they have bookshelves. You know, New Otherton has like bookshelves. So like there become more opportunities to see and, and talk about books as opposed to like the beginning of the show where like you just have one book in Boone's bag. Right. Boone himself would have been a, a big reader if A, Sawyer hadn't stolen Watership Down, and B, if he didn't die. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say, Lock like, Boone hasn't been showing up to book club lately. Do you think I'm, the I'm, ghosts read if, he, if, if he's one of the whispers? At no, any the, point books go, the books go right through their hands. Yeah, they can't. They can't. Pages, Josh. Oh, that sucks. Being a whisperer really sucks. That's why they have to subscribe to Audible. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but it's it's 2004 at the time of Boone's death. Are there, how many audiobooks does he get? Mm, maybe the ghost book? of Boone invented Audible, feeling maybe a need for it. Maybe that's why Hurley and Ben come to Walt at the end of uh, the show in the epilogue. Yeah, they have a business idea. They're like, all right, so listen, you can help your dad. You can read to him. These <laughs> these ghosts really want to to be read to, but they can't. Today on Dharma yeah. Shark Tank, yeah, yeah, I was saying, well, this idea. This almost sounds comparable to like going to like an, a retirement home and reading to the old folks. Like that's Walt's job right now is community service. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the, the last Good thing point. I want to say before we kind of dive into this is that um, as someone who really watched the show from the beginning, um, books were just one of the many things that like viewers and fans could cling on to in between uh seasons where it was like what's going to happen next like predictions right like people on message boards people started blogs that were like these are the books featured or talked about on the show maybe these are clues uh to where the show is going so like uh, we're going to talk about wrinkle in time today that's the other big book sawyer reads and so you know in between season one and two people were like oh wrinkle in time like is the show gonna have time travel at some point Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that being seeded in at this point, um, this early point, like, I, I don't know how much the show knew that, like, we were going to make it to the point where we could actually introduce time travel. Right. But it's one of those things where once you get into that kind of story, uh, it is a very simple and elegant thing that, like, it just as an object physically exists on the show and therefore it's going to exist with great gravity in the discourse of lost. And you can always point back to something like that and be like, see, we were thinking about time travel the whole time. Wrinkle in time. It's right in front of you well, the whole way. And I would say not to, you know, get too far into wrinkle in time. Cause I'm sure we're going to travel forward in time and talk about it in a bit, but maybe less yeah. so time travel and more so this idea about like alternate worlds and dimensions, because even in season one, we're getting this idea of like, 
they can't find the island. You know, right. the radar went on the fritz as soon as they flew over it. So I'm sure they were probably murking a bit in the writer's room about this idea of, like, maybe the island exists in its own plane, not purgatory, not purgatory, but maybe in its own sort of separate world from the real world. And so I can imagine that maybe there's a little bit of inspiration from Madeline Langle, you know, at that time, even if it's not inherently you know, Sawyer meeting three magical women named Mrs. Who and what and where to teach him right. about how to go back to the 70s. Yeah, and I think uh, there's a quote that I really clung to throughout the the six years of the show, and it's one I still point back to where, um, you know, Damon and Carlton, they, funnily enough, made a bus metaphor for the show because people would always ask, like, do you have a plan? You know, do you have the whole show figured out or whatever? And they would always say, like, it's like a bus ride where... Um, you know, we have the, we know where we're getting on the bus and we know where we're getting off the bus. We know where the bus is going to finally go. Um, but we, we don't know the exact route that we're going to take to get there. So yeah, like, you know, did they know that it was, there was going to be flash sideways and time travel? Like, you know, maybe not, but I do think that they were already thinking about what route the show was going to take. And I think that these little nuggets are, are fun ways to sort of peer into the heads of the showrunners you know kind of ahead of time so speaking of little nuggets let's stop down talk about the little bunny babies the little bunny foo-foos as we get into some of the books on screen uh i know they're not uh super cute bunnies they're very serious people with very serious problems uh so i don't mean yeah. to besmirch their their honor by reducing them to just cute law i'm just really happy with little animals right now yeah it reminds Absolutely. me i i it reminds me maybe I don't know why I'm connecting this to that. You guys see commercials for that Will Smith movie, Spies Like Us, where he gets turned into a pigeon? Is that real? Yeah. <laughs> is yes. that a that's real a thing? Is out in the world right now. There's yeah, a that's movie called Spies Like Us, where Will Smith gets turned into a pigeon? Well, yeah, because the best crime fighters, Josh, as you well know, with your um, two new crime fighting sidekicks at home, are animals. Wait, spies like us? Oh wait, maybe I'm, I'm, I think I'm confusing the name. Spies like us is a Chevy Chase and Dan yeah. Aykroyd movie. No, you know what it is? Spies in disguise. <laughs> spies in disguise. Because I was gonna say they did a Spies Like Us reboot. Yeah, you know where, where Will, Will Smith, Smith gets <laughs> turned into a pigeon. Reboot no, culture is crazy, think- Josh. But for some reason, all I can imagine when I look at something like Watership Down is like if they use this technology to turn serious people into rabbits. And that's sort of the lens that we're looking through things. Because, yeah, I mean, much like Lost itself, everything is not as it seems. I can imagine that a lot of people out there were certainly drawn or their parents were drawn into Watership Down, specifically, you know, the film that came out by like, oh, animated film with cute bunnies, only to find out that it is much more mature than they'd expect. Much like, Spies you know, beneath every pigeon might be a Will Smith. Spies yeah, in Disguise. Hundred million dollar is... budget on Spies in Disguise, and it made one hundred forty eight point five million at the box office. That's not enough. It's not enough. Well, they needed Chevy Chase as the pigeon. Yeah, clearly. they screwed up big time. All right, so uh, Watership Down is a book by Richard Adams, and uh, it's even though it's about bunnies, as Sawyer says, it's it's definitely not a book for children. But um, what, what I want to do here is kind of go through the plot of the book briefly, and then we'll talk about sort of the thematic elements. But Josh, since you have definitely read this entire book, why yes. don't you give us Front to sort back. of the, the major logline of the since you're an expert on it? Okay, so Watership Down, it's about bunnies. Yeah, that's about as that's about as far 
<laughs> as I've as I've gotten. No, I I read I read like the first four or five chapters and then just got derailed by life and have not been able to get back to it. Um, really enjoyed the writing style. I love the epigraphs that are that are in there. Uh, that's been very informative in in some of the work that I've been doing for myself recently. Some writing work, uh, and I really loved that style. Um, it's funny that you say that this is not a book for kids uh, from yeah. what, from what I can gather, it's very much not. And I, and I believe, and, and John, you told me this, uh, that there's uh, like a classic animated adaptation of Watership Down that is like bug nuts, insane and terrifying and like traumatic for children. Like what I imagine, uh, I don't know if either of you watched return to Oz. Uh, oh, yeah, the uh, the wheelers. Right. Yeah, you know, if you if you are listening to this and you're like, "Return to Oz," there's a Wizard of Oz sequel. Let me just say, yeah, if you have fond childhood memories of the Wizard of Oz and you're expecting a happy, friendly, go lucky sequel to Wizard of Oz, definitely check out Return to Oz. You're not going to be deeply traumatized by a queen who wears a million different heads and can walk around headless, and there's wheelers who skate around all over Oz, and all of your favorite friends from Oz. Have been turned to stone by the gnome king it's terrifying uh it sounds like that kind of nightmare fuel exists in at least the adaptation of watership down i'm sure that uh it's drawing heavily from the source and watership down itself is a very serious and 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 bleak story at times certainly given the premise that's basically there's something terrible is coming and these rabbits need to leave and they're being disbelieved or one of them is being disbelieved uh that they're that you know he's basically chicken little the sky is falling um except the sky may actually be falling for these rabbits and and man is encroaching upon um their their home all of this was a long way of saying that i believe the origin story of watership down uh from what i've read uh, of richard adams talking about it is that this was a, a story he would tell his kids like he was just like he was like kind of like orally drafting um watership down on like long car rides and bedtime stories for his kids and he would just like be making it up as as he went and the kids are like, this is so good. You got to turn it into a book. And he turned it into a book. Yeah, there's a lot of um, parallels between this and sort of the Lord of the Rings. Right? I That's know a little bit more than you expected for somebody who only read five chapters of Watership yeah, Down. Yeah, good job, Josh. Okay. Okay. Uh, but absolutely. When I say this isn't for kids, right? Like, yeah, famously, the cartoon film features a lot of rabbits fighting and like blood flying everywhere. Um, but this is I mean, it's a classic sort of a fairy tale um, that is steeped in its own internal mythology. And, um, even though the main characters are rabbits, they, they act like uh, adults and they have adult problems. There are problems in the book of, um, procreation and starvation and, and war and war prisoners and, and things like that. Um, so I, it's, I, I actually think that it, it could be for children, but it's not like Peppa Pig, right? Like it's something that, uh, is a little more, a little more highbrow. Mm, I don't know, John. There are certain Peppa Pig videos I watch out there that are quite demented as well. <laughs> well, I guess I, I can't speak to that. Uh, but anyway, let's get into uh, Watership down here. So yeah, Josh, like from the first five chapters, you're right on. So there's there's a warren of rabbits, um, and they all have names that are kind of cutesy uh, and flowery. Now, are we prepared to endorse this warren of rabbits, or do you want to wait and see how uh, the next... Are we looking for Sandersy Shores? Yes. Yeah, so, well, we're going to wait till after the rabbit primary. And Does the we'll warren feel the burn at any point? Uh, I, don't I know. think that actually, so the warren... 
Warren ends up getting gas. Are they on uh, the Buttigieg of extinction? Oh no! Are they just are they biding their time until oh, they God. find greener All pastures? Right. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're Andrew done. Andrew Yang. People are turning. <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, one of the rabbit's favorite foods is four-leaf clobatures. Oh, so. God. Okay, it's over. It's over. It's over. We got it out of our system. Keep going. So, anyway, uh, life seems pretty <laughs> idyllic for these rabbits, but then there's one small rabbit who is called Fiverr, and he has a, a vision of um, the the Warren being destroyed. So, he has this, like, psychic vision of um, just chaos and destruction. And so, he tells another rabbit, um, Hazel, who's sort of the main character. And he's like, we got to get out of here. And so they gather a few of their friends. Only a few people are willing to listen. Uh, and then they, the they king is like and, a really lazy guy who's like, yeah. I'm not to be bothered with any of this. Yeah, exactly. So like, not everyone wants to hear. Um, but a couple global of warming leave. isn't real. Everybody, calm down. Oh yeah, that's de- there's definitely a little bit of that going on there where there's like denial happening. Um, but then, so this, this small clan of rabbits, they leave and they go on these, um, sort of adventures and, um, some of the, the big highlights of the book are that, um, about halfway through the book, they find another Warren with rabbits and, um, they're like, maybe this will be our new home. And the new rabbits are very welcoming. Um, but they're very strange. These, these rabbits are very weird. And once again, Fiverr gets, um, sort of like this, this, not a vision, but a feeling that like something is wrong with these rabbits. These are unnatural rabbits. Um, and, I guess this is a good point to say that I'm going to spoil all of these books for everybody. So, oh. <laughs> but so basically they find out that this, this other Warren has a unnatural relationship with human farmers. And what happens is the human farmers will leave out food for the rabbits and keep them safe um, in their holes. But then like once a week, the humans come and collect a rabbit to eat. And all of the other rabbits are are okay with this because up until it's their chosen time to uh, you know get eaten, um, they They're have a pretty large, yeah. easy life. Uh, so that's kind of like the the midpoint of the book is that they come across these strange other rabbits who have um, you know mysterious ways um, mm. and have sort of forsaken the natural order of things. Very, uh, it's like very Walking Dead. It sounds like yes. like here's a group of bunnies that stumble upon this very strange colony. Luckily, the bunnies don't eat one another. So it's really interesting that you mention Fiverr, because if we recall all the way back from our pilot podcast, I believe Boone's character was originally going to be called Five. Mm. And considering, again, we're not entirely sure what their plan was for Boone at a certain point, but perhaps maybe in a different timeline, he could have been somebody who, you know, this young kid who has these big visions of what's to come and tries to, you know, Cassandra style warn everybody on deaf ears as to what's to come. Ah, uh, the hub of things. Uh, yeah. And I believe that the original pitch for, for Boone was that he was going to have a uh, mental illness, that he was going to be schizophrenic. Or, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. I remember that. Um, and I wonder if like they were going to be playing with what's the line between is Boone having delusions or is Boone prophetic? Um, and I'm glad they didn't go down that route, uh, that they didn't pursue that rabbit hole in particular. Uh, and John, you would say that Fiverr maybe maps better onto Walt for season one? Absolutely. Although I, I do want to highlight, as uh, Mike points out, that Boone is the one who owns Watership Down actually right. on the show as it airs. So I, I think those connections that you're making to like maybe an early version of Boone are not uh, there. There's some some meat there to that. Well, in, in some ways, he yeah. is a warning sign of like the danger on the island. Like, it, you know, he doesn't get killed by the others. He gets killed basically because of uh, Locke's hubris and, and Boone's own bravery, in fact, uh, in the moment. But I think his death signals to us as an audience that like 
these bunnies can get got. Like this mm. is not like they're yeah. not just going to be able to just like chill in the Warren forever. They're going to have to they're going to have to relocate multiple points throughout the show. And it's interesting, you know, going to this weird deal between the sacrificial deal between the humans and the the rabbits. It's almost akin to like the entire episode of Homecoming when Ethan threatens to kill one person every day if they don't deliver Claire back to him. It's a bit more menacing, but in a weird world, I could imagine a situation where the Losties and others live in, in peace with the exception of just you know sacrificing one fuselage member every few days so the others can perform experiments on them or outright kill them yeah well definitely the idea of an other group of people that um, may or may not be benevolent and you know have unseen uh, and suspective motives uh, is one of the parallels that i definitely draw between um this book and the show uh, but I, yeah, so let's, let's kind of move on and then we'll, we'll go through all the different themes. So like, uh, that's kind of the middle point of the book. And then eventually they come across a different Warren that has no rabbits on it and they decide to settle there and they name the Warren Watership Down. So that's the name of the book is actually after their new home. Um, and everything is really great for a while, but then they realize that, um, all of the rabbits that are with them and they've picked up a few friends along the way. One of the weird rabbits, uh, from the, the first Warren that they go to kind of defects and goes with them. Um, but once they get to watership down, they, they realize that none of the people in their group, none of the rabbits are, are female. They're only, they're only boys. And, um, once they sort of have a home and they have sufficient food, they, they get to this point where they're like, Oh, we we're rabbits. We need to reproduce and we can't do that. And so really the second half of the book is them trying to find it's like a dating book. It's like a romance novel. <laughs> yeah. It becomes a it's, dating sim about halfway through. It's like becomes choose your own adventure. Oh, where you're well, like, it makes oh, sense. It makes if sense. You want, if it's... you want to nuzzle the bunny, turn to page 235. So it's we're water shipping down. Ooh, water, that's good. It's, it's a lot less sexy, but maybe I'm just not the target audience there. But yeah, they, they eventually find a, a third Warren, which um, has, female rabbits at it but this third warren is um my, excuse me my dog has come into the room and oh is nice me. yeah because um, he heard you he heard you were talking about bunnies and he couldn't get yeah. enough so anyway they find this third warren full of rabbits and female rabbits but this third warren is being run by an evil sort of general rabbit who's like a military rabbit he, he runs like a military dictatorship and his name is general woundwort so, like, the final third of the book is them sort of plotting how are they going to break into this third Warren and, like, save or, or uh, rescue a bunch of female rabbits who are kind of, like, captive and um, bring them to, like, their sort of paradise or whatever. Um, so, that's the, the, the sort of the climax of the book is them having, like, this almost like an all-out war with this other group of rabbits. And uh, eventually, they what they do in order to escape is they this this third warren is lies along a river and they they learn over the course of the book that they can construct very basic um like rafts and so they build almost a boat and they use this boat as a way to escape the rabbits really quickly and so they they sneak this boat onto the third warren and then they get all these lady rabbits on the boat and then they they use the, the raft to escape to sort of freedom and then they all live happily ever after um and that's kind of the overall uh plot machinations of of the book cool um so what are what are some of the other ways that it maps on to lost for you absolutely josh yeah so some of the other parallels that i see when i when i read uh, watership down is uh the big one is really fiverr the rabbit and his sort of special abilities and the other rabbits don't really know what to do with him and he sort of uh predicts 
um, destruction, right? And I think that absolutely Walt is sort of the character that maps best onto Fiverr. Um, but then the main character, like the main rabbit is, his name's Hazel. There's a lot of Jack in him where he is, um, sort of reluctant to become the leader, but people look to him and, um, see a doctor. Book, uh, he's not, you know what? The rabbits like lick each other. Like whenever they get wounded, they just lick each other a lot. And, uh, so I guess so, you work with what you way. got, I guess. Exactly. You know, when you don't have opposable thumbs, you're really yeah. limited in your medical options. Does, does Hazel make a speech of like, if we don't hop together, we're going to die alone. <laughs> you know what he does? He makes a lot of speeches. Again, like it's, it's not a one-to-one comparison, right? But I, I think that uh, you can see the, the leadership qualities, um, but also like struggling internally with like, am I the right leader? Am I a good leader? Do I want to be a leader? Um, and then also other rabbits, you know, occasionally will challenge his leadership. And so I think you can also make pretty um, strong comparisons between, between Hazel and Jack. Is there a is there a lock comparison as well? Is is there? I know you said that uh, someone gets brought in later on who's a little funky. Is is that sort of lock one of those bunnies that challenges Hazel for the lead position? No, I, I really think that like the direct character comparisons kind of end there. Um, but I do think sort of structurally, as as you highlight, Mike, that there are a couple other comparisons where it's like they find this group of other rabbits and they're very confusing. Um, they eventually find a third group of other rabbits and they they sort of go to war with each other. But even in these other groups where they have conflicts, there are rabbits that sort of defect. Right. So I, I think a little bit about, um, you know, the others uh, on loss, right. Where like they're this mysterious group. And as we learn more about them, maybe they're not as bad as we think. And then certain groups of others, like certain individuals kind of defect and join um, our main character uh, group. I think another big uh, comparison too, is like uh, a lot of these rabbits die. They don't make it to the end. Right. Um, so you get your boons and you get your, um, your Shannons or whatever, where it's like, this is a, a world that is dangerous and not all of the main characters, um, you know, make it to the end. I don't want to know who, who dies. I do. I do plan on reading it someday. Um, how about like, sort of like the mythology of, cause that, that was one thing I was, I was drawn into when I was reading the book was like, they almost have like their own like kind of like deity culture. Like there's almost their own like religion almost within the rabbit community. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this cause I don't speak rabbit, but yeah, they have sort of a, yeah, they have a their own language. God, yeah. Um, who's, I think it's El Arare or Arara. And um, yeah, there's, there's, that's one of the things I think that this book is, you know, quite old at this point, but it's still, uh, people are still talking about it and reading it is like, it, they're not just rabbits and they're not just like rabbits with adult problems, but they have, they have a mythology, they have a culture and it hints at um, like a deeper world. And I think at one point Richard Adams wrote kind of like a sequel spinoff book, but otherwise this is not like a, a big long series. Ah, this is so it's a, an indicator that the, the, the lost two is a possibility. Right. But even though this doesn't become um, like something like Dune where there's like 18 books, right? Like there is still hints that there's there's more going on here and that this is part of a dip, a deep, rich world. And uh, I think that, again, you have comparisons there with like Lost has like these Egyptian references and you get, you know, eventually you get to your Jacobs and your man in black. Um, and, but also the, the book talks about these ideas of sort of, you know, faith versus, uh, instinct. Um, one of the things about the rabbits that they meet that have the weird, unnatural relationship with the humans, uh, is that, um, one of the first indications that something is wrong with this group of rabbits is that, um, Fiverr sees that they have started making scratchings into the walls of their warren and, uh, 
the rabbits don't know what it is, but Richard Adams through his prose indicates that it's writing. And so these rabbits have started to do writing and drawing of, of effigies. And that's not natural for rabbits to have the like pigs a, are walking. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, again, that's, I, I ties, I think very closely into the themes of lost of like, especially in the first season, right. Where it's like, what is natural? What mm. is the wild? What is human instinct? What should and shouldn't, you know, people be doing. Um, and so I think that's another, of another really interesting comparison. Some other surface level comparisons, they build a raft, right? They build a raft at the <laughs> okay. end of the book to escape. Um, How would it go? That, like if you were listening to the Michael Giacchino scores, you were reading the raft launch scene in Watership Down, would it be more or less epic? It would be honestly like, so the, the raft scene is a lot shorter in the book than, you know, the, they don't get quite as much meat out of it. Oh, so, so one rabbit doesn't give another rabbit, like a rabbit to English dictionary to talk with the other rabbits on the raft before right. leaving. Yeah. And Hazel does not like strip Carrot. down his skivvies and get really sweaty and like chop down like a tree or anything. Like that doesn't happen. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I, you I like it. You like here. the book. You like the book. Oh yeah. So yeah, if we jump ahead a little bit, I, I would say that I do recommend it. Um, I've read it more than one time. I wouldn't say it's among my favorite books. Um, and it is, you know, it is a little bit dry at times. Um, like, uh, I mean, Lord of the Rings, the books, sometimes people accuse them of being dry. Um, but overall, like it is, it is a very interesting book. Like Richard Adams makes a lot of um, interesting observations and, and he creates a pretty epic story out of what is essentially a very simple idea of rabbits kind of like, you know, hopping around. Now, my well, my question for you before we move on is we yeah. see Sawyer reading Watership Down throughout the first season of the show. Um, how do you imagine Watership Down resonates with what we know of James Sawyer Ford? Do you mm-hmm. think uh, the, at, the, at the point in time that, we're, that Sawyer's reading the book, he's still an a-hole, um, yeah. but, but we know ultimately um, that he's a much better guy than he, than he appears to be. Uh, what would your guess be in terms of what Sawyer is thinking internally about Watership Down? It's, to him, do you think it's more than just about bunnies? Well, yeah, like, so he, you know, sees himself as a, sort of like a, a, a major mover in, um, in the group. And so maybe he fancies himself as a future leader. We know early on in season two that he decides that he wants to be the man in charge um, he doesn't know that this is going to happen to him, but eventually in the book, Hazel gets taken captive by, um, some humans and he ends up, he spends some time in like a cage. And so that, you know, Sawyer Uh-oh. doesn't know what lies in his future. Right. But that's kind of another interesting, oh, man. uh, comparison. So is there um, another bunny like, that they, uh, that they have some certain actions with when it gets real rainy uh, and lonely? Well, again, there's, there's a lot of talk in the, the latter half of the book about sort of like, we are rabbits and we need to reproduce. So we need to find female rabbits. Right. And that's another thing that I think the, the book shares with the show is like, uh, you know, on the island, there are problems with being able to, to have children and, and reproduce, uh, even though there's no shortage of, of women on the island. Um, so again, that's, yeah, it's another interesting, I think, uh, comparison. But yeah, I think if Sawyer's reading this book, he's probably just really reading it to pass the time. Um, but you know, maybe it plants in his head some ideas of um, self betterment and leadership, and maybe even it gives him an idea like, oh, you know, maybe we should get in on this this boat idea. Like, you know, maybe this kind of pushes him to be one of the first people to decide to I'm going to buy my way, you know, off this island on the boat. All right, let's move on from Watership Down. Let's talk about. Uh, I know you want to bring up Wrinkle in Time, which we've already talked about a little bit. Um, you gotta you gotta remind me where Wrinkle in Time features in Lost because it's it's not as prominent as Watership Down for sure. 
Um, as, at least have- as far as like the object of the book. Yeah, so uh, it's definitely it's not one that's like mentioned, right? It's not something that Sawyer mentions as like I'm reading this book, but it's one that he reads. He's reading it. Um, let me look here. It looks like it's in numbers. So okay. it's uh, in the episode where where Hurley goes off on his uh, adventure. He's just reading it, you know, a paperback version. He found it amongst the luggage or whatever. There aren't any um, lines in the show that reference that he's reading it. So and just, in in the in the vein of how are these books influencing Sawyer? Uh, when Sawyer is going to start traveling through time, he's going to be able to like kind of buy into the concept very quickly. He's like, ah, oh, this is like wrinkle in time. Right. Well, again, I mean, we know over the course of the series that he's very well read. So yeah, yeah like he at some point probably has read several time travel books. I imagine that Sawyer is probably one of the first people to be like, okay, what are the rules here? Is this a whatever <laughs> yeah, happened yeah. happen scenario? Or is this he's one got it. Or, it or from what I've been reading, <laughs> apparently a 2003 television film of a wrinkle in time just came out. So maybe Sawyer had just ah. seen that. While he was on his crime extravaganza and decided, you know what, I better get around to reading the book, you know, see what the difference is. Yeah, he's doing the Tallahassee job and then like he catches it on TV one night and he's like, I got to read that book at some point. It sounds pretty good. Uh, Talk us through Wrinkle in Time, which I have read, but it has been literally decades since I've read it. And I I didn't see the movie. I didn't see the movie. I've I've read most of these books that we're we're going to talk about today, and this is the last one that we're going to do like a really sort of a deep dive into. But I I have not reread it. Like I reread Watership Down a month or two ago. Um, Wrinkle in Time I probably haven't read in a good ten years. So um, this is a good time to acknowledge that uh, for my research for this for this podcast, I used um, the Lostpedia blog, and I used also used some articles on uh, E Entertainment Weekly, TV Guide, and also the LA Times. So they 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 have helped me here. This isn't all just being pulled out of my head. Um, but wrinkle in time. So the, the idea of the book is there's three children. Two of them are siblings. Meg is the main character, Meg Murray, uh, and her little brother. And then they have a friend, um, who kind of joins them on this adventure and their father is missing. Meg's father is missing. And, um, yeah, this mysterious woman, Mrs. What's it shows up and, uh, turns out she's some sort of an alien or, or sort of intergalactic being. And she tells the children that they have to go rescue their father and, um, that they're going to have to use this wrinkle in time and it's uh, a way to travel through time and space. And they have to go on this crazy intergalactic quest to um, find and rescue their father. And uh, they, they go to strange worlds and they go to worlds where the rules of, of, you know, physics don't quite make sense the way that they're used to. Um, and they, they, they fight this great evil thing. Mrs. What's it talks about how there's this evil in the universe. That's, um, she actually uses the words like this, this giant evil dark cloud. It's called mm. like, the dark thing. Uh, and it's trying to take over the universe. Uh, and eventually, oh. yeah, see, uh, they, they go to this planet and I think it's called like Kamazots or something. I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, and there's like this giant disembodied brain thing there. And the brain takes over like the mind of the little brother, Charles. Um, and so like, that's kind of the, I don't know, the midpoint of the book or the climax of the book. And then, and then Kelvin and Meg escape. Um, but then Meg has to go back and defeat the the evil brain and sort of rescue the soul of her brother. And uh, basically the way that she does that is through the power of love. Um, this evil sort of brain is is like a computer. It's unable to to feel. And so that's how she kind of outsmarts it. Interesting. And I mean, th- eventually that saves. Kind of- 
her brother and her father. That kind of maps on to Lost pretty neatly, I actually yeah. think. I mean, like, not not perfectly, yeah. but certainly, like, the dark thing being this evil thing that wants to take control of the universe and is literally a cloud. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can put that onto the man in black pretty easily, the smoke monster. Although we don't know what he's going to do once he gets off the island. He he's going to invent Audible. He may he may invent Audible. He may just go to Thailand and drink Mai Tais with Bai Ling. We don't right, know. Well, that's, that, that's the ultimate evil. Uh, the other interesting <laughs> thing is, you know, you said the yeah. power of love is what ultimately, right. you know, reconciles the wrinkle in time. And I mean, they go to the heart of the island multiple right. times at the end. So I think it's not an exact one-for-one mapping. But I also feel like the, the unity that the group of castaways shows and ultimately, you know, the sacrifice that Jack makes himself it's sort of like an act of love, even if it isn't an outright, like, I'm going to save my dad. Yeah, 100%. And also the fact that the the core message of Lost in the end, right, is about love will save us at all times. And, like, you're going to die and you're going to find the people you love if you were a good person in the afterlife. Uh, so the power of love is, like, really the beating heart of Lost at the end of the day. And I think, Mike, as we've been talking about Down the Hatch, as we've been doing Down the Hatch, rather, um, we've been talking about Lost with with such affection for the characters. Uh, and there's, like, the, the enduring legacy of this show truly is the power of love and the, the love that you feel for your favorites, whether it's because of a performance or because of a character arc and a journey. Um, so, so love really is a central, central piece of, of Lost. I also find it interesting, this idea of the little brother getting like kind of like brainwashed by the bad guy and being like taken over mm, you could yeah. you could you could say a similar thing about Locke, even though it's not exactly that but the bad well, guy saeed right? yeah saeed too that's a great call yeah that the that the man or, in black is going to recruit saeed yeah yep 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 absolutely but i think even just the idea that like the great evil is taking on the likeness of somebody you you love and cherish and like you hate to see in this new way in this dark new way um, that that feels pretty on on point to me. Yeah. And like, you know, again, I, I'm not saying that they the showrunners like lifted these ideas from like these are all classic sort of sci fi, you know, tropes. Right. But uh, again, I, I think that's it's so interesting that in what is it? Episode uh, 20 uh, is numbers, right? Or uh, 18. Episode 18. So early on in season one, you have this this you know, nod to a wrinkle in time. And uh, as we said earlier, like, you know, maybe they didn't know where the show was going to go, but like it does map pretty well. Once again, we get psychic children. We get this battle between good and evil. We get literally an evil cloud. There's time travel. There's multiple dimensions, right? Like alternate realities they travel through in this book. I mean, there's, there's kind of a, a mapping onto the flash sideways there. Um, but I think really the, the, the connections between this and wrinkle in time uh, where it really shines is like the, the big ideas, uh, in the book, there's a lot of talk about like science versus faith. Mm. This idea of um, Meg, Meg wants to be like a little scientist. Her dad is a scientist and she wants to explain everything throughout the entire book. She wants to know why things are the way they are. Um, she wants answers. She wants answers. And uh, she gets frustrated throughout the book um, because she can't understand this world that she has been sort of thrown into. And at the end of the book, she kind of comes to, I don't know, this realization of this homeostasis where she just accepts that she's not going to understand everything and not going to get all the answers. And she realizes that the more important thing is 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 love right like that because the bad guy in the book is like this big disembodied brain so it doesn't have a body it doesn't have emotions um and she learns that that's more important and i think that's a good metaphor for the whole show right like people who love the show are people i think who understand that it's not about the answers that it's not just like you want to find a book that has 
all of the answers written down that like the actual joy of the show is in, in not in understanding, but in experience. Well, and, and, I, uh, I, I certainly think that there are definitely still to this day. And obviously while the show was airing even more so uh, the crowd of lost fans that really were in it for the mysteries that really were in it for the answers and really were examining things like specific, uh, you know, literary entries, uh, you know, reading a wrinkle in time to figure out how do we divine uh, the, the meaning of lost from this book that was fleetingly on on the show. Um, and I think that you can you can love lost and have that be your primary entry into lost. Uh, but my feeling on it is. You, you the way that I read Lost is if that's how you're reading Lost, I think you're you're gonna be one of the people who's disappointed by the show. I think you're gonna be one of the people who's just like not not really squeezing all of the juice out of the fruit. I like right. this transition from the Meg of Science to the Meg of Faith personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's good. Uh, and then yeah, so like just kind of last ideas here in terms of connections. There's there's daddy issues. Uh, Meg has issues with her father. She loves him, and ultimately like that's the whole plot of the book is rescuing him, right? But she doesn't have like the best relationship with him. Um, and then another sort of surface level one is I think that sort of Mrs. What's It, like the character who introduces this world and explains how time travel works. Um, I think you can map Eloise Hawking to her pretty closely. Yeah. Oh man, Eloise Hawking. We've got a long way to go. Yeah, yeah hopefully there's not a. I know that a Wrinkle in Time has you know several books after that, but hopefully there's not one where Mrs. What's shoots her son. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> that that happens in any of those. But Wrinkle yeah. in Time to to let's transition into whether or not we recommend it. Wrinkle in Time actually is for children. Uh, I do recommend it. Like I read it as a kid and also probably as a teen. I remember loving Same, it, I, but, yeah. I, but I remember nothing about it. I yeah, really don't. I just remember yeah. when I was a kid reading it and being like, oh, this is crazy. Yeah, the intended audience with this one is definitely children as opposed to uh, to Watership Down. So I, I would recommend it. But like if you've never read it before and you're in your like 30s or whatever, like uh, you may or may not make a strong of a connection uh, because I yeah. do think that there's kind of like a window for certain things like this where you have to be the right age to connect. Well, that being said, though, this is still a novel that takes on concepts like the theory of relativity and Planck's yes. constant uh, under the guise of a children's book. So it's not, you know, see spot run. It's still something no. that has some depth to it, albeit it's the writing might be kids. more juvenile based. It's for nerd kids, for sure. All right. What uh, what right, what, what that, other books is, are are showing up in season one? Yeah. So uh, that kind of ends like uh, the the literal major books that you can go out and purchase and have an opinion and make a podcast about them uh, that are featured on the show. But there are actually two other um, sort of book p- thing with pages that are featured in season one <laughs> that I think are worth are worth mentioning really things quickly on for, paper. Yeah. For two different reasons, right? Um, so this Sawyer's one, uh, letter. Yeah, right. Anything with paper. That's this is going to be an eighteen-hour podcast. Yes. No. Um, so Rick, every Romer's, single message in the bottle. Yes. So the next one of those is Rick Romer's Visions of Astrology, the book on how astrology works by an author named Rick Romer. Um, this is something that Claire is seen reading several times throughout season one. Um, it's her book. 
that she reads. I would say we got to get Jenny Autumn on down the hatch to do the astrology sign readings of all of the lost. I, I think that needs to happen. But I, I don't would think love that, that Jenny. I don't think Jenny watches TV. <laughs> but I think I that I think watches. that's totally okay. I think what she does, much like John is doing drama. here, like she comes on, reads the signs, and then it's our job, Josh, to try to fit that square peg into a round hole. Oh my god, that'd be very very funny to have somebody who knows like absolutely jack shit about the lost characters that uh, would be <laughs> would be very very funny uh but Clara's really into astrology she has that great line with with kate which is like gemini classic gemini classic gemini yeah but this book is interesting for two reasons and uh that's that's it but we're gonna go over them really quickly and they're both i think really interesting things uh number one this is not a real book this is basically the only time that I'm aware of in the show where a character is re- seen reading a book and it's not a, a book that exists. This mm. is something that they invented for the show. And wh- why would that be? Like there, there are astrology books out there that, that Claire could have been reading. Like, Maybe they, they, ju- gone- they just don't want to endorse the practice or like they're not uh, versed enough in the practice in the field that they, uh, they don't want to endorse well, the wrong t- thing. Rem- Remind me here, guys. When does the bad twin manuscript come Season in? Season two. Okay. Yeah, but but Mike, that becomes like a book you can read. That is now a real book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah can, but it's not like this, a really like this is a real chi- this is a real chicken egg situation where sure, like, but like you can read it. You can't read Rick Romer's. Well, maybe of maybe that was the plan, and they just got away from them, much like the uh, character okay. of Claire. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. They had like right, a, so- half a manuscript written, and then they just mm-hmm. threw it in the trash. Reason two that I'm mentioning this book, and I found this out last night at like 11:30, and I never knew this before. And I'm about to drop a crazy bombshell because this literally blew my mind. Um, but the in Walkabout episode four, right? Uh, Locke goes to the tourist agency office, right, and famously is told he cannot go on the walkabout by the jerk of a travel guide. And there is one shot in the episode that is like a half close up of the tour guide man. And he's wearing a name tag and his name tag says Rick Romer. Mm. Wow. What? Wow. So what the, is this and, and he's Australian. And he's so Australian. is Claire. He could have been like an Australian local you know, trying to self-publish this astrology book, and Claire is one of the only people that invested in it, and so he had to go back to his job being a tour guide, and that's why he's such an a-hole. The book just did not sell, uh, but Claire Claire was really into it. Rick Romer is, of course, also a crew member on on Lost, uh, who is a, a set oh. decorator. Uh, who is so who it was is just who, a name that who, they had? Well, it's, they so they named they named the Troyzan character as we've dubbed him. Uh, they named the the walkabout tour guide after Rick Romer, but I didn't realize that they had published a book uh, or in the in the universe of Lost based on Rick Romer, and I'd forgotten that the Troyzan character was named Rick Romer. Uh, so I think it's not a leap to to uh, canonize uh, with our cannons that we're we're lugging around in this van. Uh, the idea that the walkabout tour guide is super into astrology, wrote a wrote a book, his vision of astrology, and it just did not sell very well. But Claire, being a, a voracious uh, reader of all things astrological, uh, devoured the book and brought it with her on the plane. I think that's a very fun story. I, I was kind of hoping that I'd stumbled across like a, a dropped story thread or something. Like that's that. really funny. Yeah, what were they going to do with that guy? 
it was a moment literally like last night where I, I felt that feeling that I haven't felt since like 2004 or five, where it was like, Oh my God, I just uncovered a thing that's going to unlock like the whole show. So now we have Ray Mullen, Richard Malkin, and Rick Romer. Like we're starting to form this Mount 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 Rushmore of pertinent Australian men in Lost. DMK, Rick Romer, Richard Malkin, Ray Mullen. Marry uh, Ray Mullen because you get a stable supply of peaches, no matter what you know day you're at. Yeah, but I, he's having trouble with the farm. Yeah, but that, I mean that's fine. He's not going to buy the farm anytime soon. You gotta, you gotta ding Rick Romer, right? Because he looks like Troyzan. I think that's probably that's true, true especially and, and if you're if you're Lauren Beck, especially. I think you should kill the psychic because uh, you don't know if what he is saying is true. So there are trust issues there. Uh, I don't know, buddy, but if he is an AOJ, as we theorize, that could really get you in some hot water. It could get you in hot water, but I think you just have to like play the field as it lies. And I, I think with with uh, with with uh, with the psychic, either he is a sham, you know, he's a con artist or it's real. And like, you just don't want to know all of that stuff. Live your life. And apparently living your life means ending his. Absolutely. I think that's fair. Uh, the only other sort of book or whatever that is featured on screen in season one is the car magazine that Sawyer reads to Aaron. Uh, and there's not really <laughs> Please much Please tell me you here, did right? a deep dive into the automotive magazine Yeah, did, did, did they publish this magazine after the episode aired? <laughs> well, I, honestly, it didn't even occur to me, but I was, again, I'm going to reference my sources here. I was on Lostpedia, and there is an entire page on Lostpedia that is titled Unspecified Automotive Magazine. Very funny. Very <laughs> and funny. It, it goes through it a little bit, uh, but there's not really much to talk about here other than, Josh, are you a no, big fan no, of automotive magazine? No, 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 no. My my roommate in college uh was uh my roommate uh shout out to norm uh norm was a norm was a big car guy uh and he he would always he would always be playing like grand uh, what what's the name of the uh grand, grand turismo Auto? grand uh, turismo mm-hmm. is like the racing car game mm-hmm. you play that all the time and we shared a tv and so i i was exposed to way more Gran Turismo than I ever expected to be exposed to in my entire life, and truly enough to satisfy a lifetime. Is the uh, uh, so our next edition of a bonus podcast is going to be our video game club podcast, where someone oh, yeah. comes on and talks about Half Life with us, but that yes. they were playing during the Greater Good. Yeah, that's oh, right. I go, I go way back on Half Life. I w- actually, I think that we could do like a another media spinoff with uh, like musical references, uh, like uh, definitely games. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that intermingles with well, Lost over its run. But those are the books that appear on screen, and you know, yes. there's there's only two actual books, and then there's the the two the two fictional pieces of writing uh, that you're talking about. Um, but there's so many different references to, to yes. fictional works through throughout the, the the first season. So talk us through some of those and some of the possible connections to, to where we are in Lost. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot more of these, but um, because they're so briefly mentioned on the show, I think that we can kind of get through them a little more quickly. Um, but it's a good place to think about, like, again, where the showrunners' heads are at. And also, like, in-universe, like, which characters are making the references, I think is kind of interesting. Um, so we're going to kind of go in order of most overt to least overt. Um, and the big ones uh, here, we got Heart of Darkness mm. uh, by Joseph Conrad, which I think a lot of people read probably in high school or in college. Um, and the reference has to do with, um, I believe it's Charlie calls, um, some calls Hurley. No, so Charlie, yeah, Char- I think Sawyer calls Lockhart first in the early okay. part of the season. And then in numbers, Charlie calls Hurley Kurtz for running through the jungle looking for Danielle. 
Right. So for those who aren't familiar with Heart of Darkness, the plot is uh, very similar to the film Apocalypse Now. Um, but basically, a man is asked to go into Africa uh, through colonial Africa uh, along a river, uh, the Congo River. And he has to find this man, Colonel Kurtz, um, who is he was originally like a company man. He worked for one of these colonial companies, but he kind of goes native. He goes rogue. He disappears and no one knows what happens to him. And so the main character of Heart of Darkness, as he goes deeper and deeper into the jungle, um, you know, mystery, mysterious things happen. Um, and he eventually finds Colonel Kurtz, who has basically gone crazy. And um, the famous line, the horror, the horror that's from uh, Heart of Darkness and also Apocalypse Now. Um, and that's that's basically the plot. Right. And I think, again, the, the connections here are really obvious where you have the idea of. Um, people sort of losing their civility or, or quote unquote going native. Right. Right. Um, right. I think that's really the biggest one. Yeah. Um, and I, you also I, have, I think as it ahead. maps to Locke makes, makes a lot of sense. I think Colonel Kurtz really buys into it in a, in a darker way than Locke ultimately does, unless you want to extend. And I know sometimes lost uh, indicates that it wants to extend Locke's arc to the man in black specifically that like, right. you know, they, they call him Locke, which is still grinds my gears. Uh, but like, you know, that, that, I think that instinct, at least for the first season and even a little bit, uh, past the first season, um, I think that the show wants us to be concerned about where Locke's loyalties may ultimately lie. Right. Considering that we end the first season with Jack literally saying, we're going to have a Locke problem is very prophetic. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then I also think with this book, too, you have this idea of the jungle being like a mysterious place. And the deeper that you go into the jungle, um, you know, things make less sense and things are more sinister. Uh, I think you can talk about like the dark territory here mm. or just the fact that like uh, how many episodes in season one do they have to go on a mission and like they trek into the jungle and, you know, something crazy happens. Um, all right. What else? Sure. So uh, the next one here is uh, is Harry Potter. Never Hurley heard of about. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, this, tell I mean, this me short, about this Harrison Potter. Now, this is one yeah. of those fake books they wrote, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So Hurley. You're JK right now, right? Um, I, th- those are my initials. Uh, oh, it's true. It's true. So you are um, JK right now. I am JK. Are you JK right Rowling? <laughs> I wish I would have a, a much bigger. You would not be talking to us right now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Hurley makes a joke about how how Sawyer looks like Harry Potter. Uh, and that's pretty surface level. But I think actually like the, the big themes of Harry Potter as a series do kind of map well onto Lost. Like ultimately that becomes a book about good and evil and a book about friendship and love triumphing. Um, the idea of like a magical world that like Harry gets thrust into this magical world that he doesn't understand. Right. And I mean, that's what happens to our survivors. Right. Yeah. And I also think there are actually some qualities in the character of Harry Potter that actually mapped pretty well onto Jack Shepard, specifically mm-hmm. in like the latter half of uh, the Harry Potter series. They say like, Harry, you have a saving people thing, which Voldemort uses uh, to his benefit in Order of the Phoenix. And we experience this in Do No Harm specifically, right? How Jack is somebody who feels like he needs to save everybody, even if it's to his detriment or if it's not physically possible. And we're about to talk about this with Man of Science, Man of Faith as well, that he has this insistence to do it just because it's the right thing to do right yeah, you also i think can talk about how you know harry has like a destiny he's the he's chosen right and uh that's another thing that he shares with jack where uh throughout the series he he wants to reject that idea that he is chosen and uh you know jack has to be told in the season one finale right by Locke, he says 
you know, you, we were chosen to be here. This is our, our destiny. Can't you feel it? Uh, and yeah, I think there's comparisons there. Too. And the man in black is kind of Voldemort ish bald ultimately. Uh, and <laughs> sort of uh, snake like nostrils, Ontario and, Quinn. And he sort of has horcruxes, right? Like the candidates are kind of his horcruxes. If you like the, they're like his reverse horcruxes, actually. Well, yeah, and I would say like season six is interesting because like his followers, specifically like Claire, is very Bellatrix Lestrange at a certain point. You know, I don't know why oh, I'm making, definitely. I don't know why I'm making so many Claire references, but like definitely the group that follows Flock around for season six once that revelation is made is very reminiscent of the Death Eaters in the latter half of the of the series. So is, I mean, is Saeed and- uh, Narcissa Malfoy? Because, no, I think like- I think Saeed, Saeed Snape. I think he okay. ultimately oh, sacrifices yeah. himself, even though yeah. he's bad for most of the final season. He actually shows his heart at the end of it. Yeah. yeah. Who got it worse, Saeed or Snape? Well, I have I have opinions about Snape that I think are we don't have time. All to right, go we don't into. have time. We don't have time. <laughs> Mr. Potter, big... will you will you get on the raft and get and out of this classroom? Get on the raft, Mr. I Potter. I do think that um, in season six, if in his last scene, Saeed had looked at Jack and said, "Always," that yeah. we, we we would feel differently. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, if maybe. If, if, if Saeed had a crush on Margot Shepard and noticed her, she had the same eyes as Jack Shepard. It would have been a different story. You, we gotta <laughs> be, we gotta be talking Lord of the Flies here, right? Like yes. Lord of the Flies, is, it's 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 flat out referenced on the show. Um, you know, like it's about to become Lord of the Flies time, or somebody has a lineup. Oh uh, yeah, I think Sawyer says that to Jin in yeah. Ooh in translation. When yes, he's, uh, Ooh beating, in translation. When he's beating yeah. the crap out of him. Yeah, and I think yeah, like the the parallels are obviously pretty clean. Plane crash on an island. Let's build our own society. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff too, though. Like uh, this is a book that I've read multiple times. Uh, I I actually never had to read this for school, but um, it's this is one that I definitely recommend. It's very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, you have the mysterious island that a plane crash ends up on. Um, in the book, it's like a it's a school for boys, so they're all children and they're all male. Um, but otherwise, you have that sort of thing. There's, um, they see smoke signals, right? Because mm. eventually other people crash onto the island. There's like a pilot who crashes. Um, and then, unlike, and then like, I know they like tear him limb from limb or something because they're feral at that point. Well, he doesn't survive. I believe the pilot doesn't survive. But yeah, so there's like a body. But they see smoke signals. Um, you have like the the sort of heart and soul of the group is um, Piggy, they call him, uh, because he's he's a fat kid. And uh, they call him Piggy, and he's sort of like the heart and soul of the group. Oh, and he, and he has asthma, like Shannon does. Mm-hmm. Right, yes, yeah, so you have right. Shannon with asthma, but you, you also obviously, you know, not to be skin level, skin deep here, but you have Hurley, who is is larger, but he's also, he's the soul of the, of the team, right? I think that's a, a really big comparison. There's a monster on the island um, in the, in the book. It's probably fictional. It's probably in their head because, as you say, they, they go feral. Um, and it's literized. It's like literally represented as a boar. Well, yeah, that's the thing is that there's yeah. the titular Lord of the Flies, which is a pig head on a spike. But the thing, I actually feel like the Lord of the Flies is actually more like a Jacob, is more like this weird godlike figure that some kids feel like they're able to communicate to and feels like is giving them orders. And so you could definitely yeah. see that with like Locke and Ben and their trust in Jacob and how it guides some of their their actions. Yeah, and to to go back to, you know, Heart of Darkness, like a lot of these books I think the 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 big comparisons are the philosophy, the philosophy of what is nature, what is civilization? Because in Heart of Darkness, the further from civilization that the main character gets, the more 
evil and primal he becomes and he sees other people becoming. And the same thing happens in Lord of the Flies where these are prep school boys and they are the most civilized of British children, right? But as they spend time on this island, they revert back to their natural selves, which uh, according to both the authors of Heart of Darkness and Lord of the Flies is evil. It's naturally deep down inside. We have darkness inside of us. And I think that's a question that that Lost asks time and time again, is when you strip away civilization, especially in season one, what what else is there? Yeah, when you, once you're in the wild. Um, all right, quick hits. What else do we got? Yeah, so these are going to be even quicker because these are much more subtle. They may or may not even be directly referenced or not. Um, for example, this one, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, right? Like, there's not really much connection there, but James Ford takes the name Sawyer I know in the show, he takes it from the other con man, Sawyer. But I think it's very appropriate that we have our most literary character in season one has the name of Sawyer. And that's why that's why Cooper took it. I mean, in the in the brig in season three, when he's rattling yeah. off all the yeah, different he, aliases, he says Tom Sawyer. So, you know, that's definitely front of and, mind. And not to mention that, you know, he Cooper also is someone who has known to like disappear and reappear from time to time. And. I think Tom Sawyer is probably known best for him and Huck Finn faking their deaths and viewing their own funeral. That's true. Oh, that's fun. Well, that, that'll be fun to unpack if we get to a season three book club. So maybe let's put a pin in that. I think that there yeah, could be a fun so discussion there. Quick hits here. Alice in Wonderland. We've got that's rabbits obvious, throughout. Yeah, yeah. We have rabbits throughout the series of Lost. We have an episode called White Rabbit. Later on in season three, we get an episode called Through the Looking Glass, which is the sequel to Alice in Wonderland. Um, and again, I think surface level here, you have this idea of entering a strange place where logic and science don't make sense. They don't add up. Um, and maybe a slightly deeper one. Um, there's a poem in the second book about the Jabberwock or the Jabberwocky. And uh, this idea of a confusing sort of scary monster that doesn't make any sense. Now, right, right. And then they wear mentioned. white masks and they do like break dancing. Right, right. Do you think that it's possible that the smoke monster, because we know it can grow and change size, is it drinking uh, potions that are impacting uh, its its uh, growth uh, throughout the series of Lost? Uh, I don't know, but do I you do think remember. Walt, do you think Walt drank the... the, the <laughs> yeah, the, he, he had the drink me thing, but he didn't eat the bread to shrink back down. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, there was that one deleted scene from season four where Walt and the smoke monster have a tea party. Ah, that's true, that's true. Yeah, and that's much true. like the ghost, the monster can't pick up the teacups. It's a very short scene. Yeah. Exactly. Um, another kind of quick hit here, Animal Farm. Um, Artst makes a reference. He says the pigs are walking. That's a direct reference to Animal Farm. Right. Uh, this one doesn't have too much connection beyond that, although I do think the idea of like different forms of governance and leadership are definitely questions. Starting to crop up, I think it was going to be more of a focus than it ended up being in, in season one. Right, but um, even even arts in season one, right? He doesn't like the people that are in charge. He thinks that other people, that, you know, I think that arts is more of maybe a socialist, where he thinks that the entire group should have equal footing when it comes to away missions. Um, any other books? Yeah, uh, so these are these are really subtle ones. These aren't really mentioned directly by name, but they're ones that either the showrunners have mentioned in in passing, or um, people on Lostpedia have drawn connections to. So, quick fire, we got. Um, the Mysterious Island by uh, Jules Verne. Uh, you, Shannon talks about being on Mystery Island. Mysterious Island by Jules Verne is a book I've not read, although apparently it's about men and a dog crashing on a mysterious island in a balloon crash. Oh, uh, so, so are you not talking about the Jules Verne book Crap Hole Island? <laughs> no, that was the sequel that, that didn't sell very well. 
Uh, we also have another book called Island by Aljuis Huxley, which involves a man who's shipwrecked on an island. Um, this one has the, I'm going to, this is a direct quote. So this is from Aljuis Huxley. This is the first line of the book. Uh, lying there like a corpse in the dead leaves, his hair matted, his face grotesquely smudged and bruised, his clothes in rags and muddy. Will Farnaby awoke with a start. Wow. Uh, so mm. Will Farnaby having a rougher start than Jack, I feel like. The, his clothes were not rags and muddy, at least for Jack. Absolutely. And then um, there's a couple other references throughout the series that kind of map onto this book. There is um, talk about Dharma a lot uh-huh. like, as a religious concept in this book. Um, there are talking birds in this book. None of them say Hurley, but they do talk. And uh, the name of the island that the man uh, in the book crashes on is Pala. And uh, in season three, you hear about the Pala ferry. Oh, I was going to say uh, that you hear about you meet Paolo. No. Yeah, it's P-A-L-A, Paolo. Oh, got it. Okay. Uh, Other other uh, another quick one, Moby Dick. Um, This is one that I kind of scratched my head at when I saw it on the Lostpedia. But I actually I do see it a little bit with um, Sawyer in season one. uh, Like when he is blaming the boar for all his problems and he goes on this mission to hunt the boar. Um, but also like on the raft, he has this discussion with, um, Michael about sort of like, you know, Michael goes, this is why you want to kill yourself. Like Sawyer goes on the raft mission, um, basically assuming it's going to be like a suicide mission or whatever. Um, but yeah, Moby Dick, there's uh, obvious connections there with just like, uh, or even with Locke, right. With characters that are obsessive and believe. Well, in, I mean, talk uh, about a white things. rabbit. Everybody's got a white whale that they're hunting, uh, throughout lost. I mean, Sawyer's is Sawyer, right? Like Sawyer is Anthony Cooper. Locke is like his white whale is like, what is the meaning of the Island? And he will do anything to find it. Uh, definitely. And I've read Moby Dick also. Uh, a lot of people say it's really long and boring. Um, but I think you have to enter it with the right headset of like, there's a lot of, factual information about fishing practices in the 1800s. But if you answer it with that in your head, uh, I actually would recommend Moby Dick too. Uh, Last, last kind of two here. And these ones we could do our own podcast on. So I'm going to be, I'll be brief, but uh, I think there's a lot more meat here. We have the stand by Stephen King. Mm. Uh, You guys talked about it a little bit before. Um, I actually wrote in feedback about how Charlie was directly influenced by uh, one of the characters on the show. Right. Uh, But I have a nice direct quote from an interview here. Um, by Carlton Hughes. He says um, that The Stand was a very long, character-oriented book that hung on a high-concept premise that the entire nation had been infected with a super flu, and it was the equivalent of people crashing onto this mysterious island, both based on incredibly intricate and involved character dynamics. So um, The Stand is very much in their mind as they're sort of breaking ground on the show because it is a book that is very long, and has many, many, many characters. And uh, it's like steeped in this sort of like end of the world mythology where, um, you know, they have to build sort of a new society uh, among the wreckage of of an older society. And yeah. the stand is really good. That's it's the one that so I long. recommend. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> a very, listen, if, a it's, if it's Stephen book. King, it's either going to be like really weird, really long or both. So yeah. pick your poison. Yeah, but it's also, inc- yeah. I mean, as with all things Stephen King, I love Stephen King. Uh, it's in- incredibly well written. Just the prose is so great. I think uh, often because he's so prolific, I think Stephen King's storytelling, uh, or at, at least like his plots, um, maybe can be hit or miss for me. Uh, some are much yeah. better than, than, than others. But almost without fail, every time he's writing a book, I just love to sit down with his words. Uh, and I know that Stephen King just generally an enormous inf- uh, influencer when it comes to to Lost and had a really tight relationship uh, with, with Lindelof and, and Cuse and J.J. Abrams and the, and the, and the Lost team. Um, and we'll, we'll have opportunities to talk about Stephen King again uh, later on down the line, not just with the man in black of it all, uh, but also season three's opening scene with the book club. 
Uh, Carrie. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's there's stuff to talk about there for sure at some point. And uh, Stephen King, controversial for his endings. People don't always like the way he ends his works, right, right, which, exactly. That's, that's like it, with Stephen King, it really is a journey versus destination thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Hopefully, the destination isn't a kid orgy. <laughs> oh God, yeah. yeah, right, exactly. All right, so last reference I want to talk about here, and again, I, we could talk about this forever, but uh, I think that the Bible is a very big reference here, uh, not only plot-wise, right? Like we get in season two, we get uh, Mr. Echo, but even in season one, you have Charlie and Rose. Like there's a lot of Christian people on the show, well, not, Christian Shepherd, and, notwithstanding. And not to mention, I know we did have a write-in about the, uh, the, the history behind the Israeli ship Exodus, but obviously Exodus being a book in the Bible as well in the whole biblical story about the, you know, the exodus of the Israelites is also looming large over the season finale. Yeah, well, you also, and this is one that uh, I don't hear people talk about enough, but there's an episode called Numbers. Numbers is a book of the Bible. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and and also, like, you know, I, I'm not an expert on the Bible. Like, I grew up in a household where it was a thing. But, um, you know, like the book of Numbers, if you look it up, like a summary of that book of the Bible, it's about you know, the Israelites being cursed to wander the wilderness uh, because they didn't follow the commandments of God. And uh, it's also about a census. The, the the book of Numbers is one of the books of the Bible that is like the census of all the people of Israel. And uh, that's a thing that Hurley does is he takes a census of, and, the, uh, of the people. Bibles are very important here on Down the Hatch as every week. Uh, yeah, we read, we, we read, we read. And we're building our own Bible now. No, we're reaching our own sort of exodus, as it yeah. were, as, as I think the, uh, the actual real entries are running thin. Oh, the, we've got one more, and that's it, basically. So we're just creating our own Bible at this point. Um, yes. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to talk about um, the role religion plays in Lost. The, the great bend behind the curtain, I know, is really itching to get on the podcast and, and do a deeper dive into that at some point, uh, the religious allegories well, uh, of Lost. And I'm looking forward to doing that at some point as well. Um, but I think that, that that's that's it for literary reference in in, in season one. John, this Definitely. was this was fantastic, and, yeah. and I would really love to do this again at the end of every season as we're just like doing these these uh, retrospectives uh, before we get into to the next season proper. Um, with that said, can you give us any insight into what to be keeping an eye on for in season two? Yeah, definitely. So there are once we get down the hatch, there is a library in the hatch. And so there the, a lot of the book references become more overt in season two. The big ones that stick out in my mind, uh, really, and ones that I have read are, um, Desmond talks about our mutual friend. Um, he's a big fan of Charles Dickens, but that is like the book that he is saving, right? So, uh, our mutual friend by Charles Dickens is one that I think if you want to be a member of this book club, uh, as we get through season two, and wait for a season two book club episode. I think that's one that we should read. Um, and then another one is The Third Policeman by Flannery O'Connor. That is uh, one of the strangest books that I have ever read. It, it's very bizarre and it's pretty short. So I think even you could read it, Josh. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That seems seems like a tall one. Yeah, I think Josh can only like suffice with a pamphlet at this point in terms of yeah. reading length. I could read like a single issue of a comic book. Would you, could you read for next time the automotive magazine that Sawyer reads to Aaron? Absolutely not. There's a lot of pictures in that one. Yeah. 
So those are the two I think to look out for. Uh, but like, I, you know, I'm, I'm being transparent here. The Lostpedia has a really great collection of any books that are referenced on the show. And John, so, will uh, you read Bad Twin uh, in time for uh, the season two book club? Yeah, if I can track it down, that's one that I never, I've never read. I've never read it. I've never read it either. I know it's a thing, and like I, as with like most of these like tie-in material, it's I I tend to not care for it too much. Um, I remember even as a fifteen-year-old when when the show was airing, being like, "This is a cheap." Tie-in. Uh, this is like a cash-in. Like I was already too much of a hipster. Bad Twin is available for ten dollars on Kindle and no oh, dollar, okay. and and it's also on Audible. Oh, all right. So they did invent audiobooks, so they can read that to, to the ghosts okay. on uh, the show. And Michael's a big fan. But yeah, so I think that's uh, that kind of wraps it up for me. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Uh, I've been enjoying listening to all of your episodes. Uh, Josh, you, you and I, after bonding over Survivor, like Lost, I think was one of the first things that you and I talked about. For so sure. This is a little bit of a dream come true. Uh, oh, stop it. Oh, I'm my serious. God. Oh, this my is literally, God. Josh, this is the first time that you and I have spoken audible verbal words to each other. Yeah, so we're like audio booking at each other at this point. And that's exciting. No, it's great. It's great. This was super, super fun. uh, John, you did so much great research. And really, again, like, one thing I love about doing this podcast is just how deep we're able to dig into Lost every time we revisit it. And now, with the background you gave us, I'm almost ready to go back into season one again and nope. explore it given all the themes you don't want to do that again josh no I, i'll do it but not until we start doing the re-rewatch we have right, to finish true. our rewatch and then down the hatch resets and we go back through the show again yes and then john can be our mrs what's it and talk us through like how to get back into that rewatch through time yeah exactly I think to be truly recursive what you need to do instead of rewatching the show again is you should once you finish down the hatch you should re-listen to down the hatch oh a nightmare the ultimate test of our anxiety I think no way no chance no shot not doing it not happening uh, there's a much better chance of re-watching Lost than there is of re-listening to down the hatch uh, or even listening to Down the Hatch. I don't know how any of you people are doing it, <laughs> but I'm glad you are. I'm glad you are. And John, I'm glad that you swung by uh, to to talk some books with us here. Uh, and I think, Mike, that officially closes the book on on season one. Uh, just to, to go a little bit further behind the curtain, we're recording this uh, on, on Tuesday morning, bright and early on January 28th, 2020 and in just a few short hours mike and i are going to be getting back together to record our very first podcast about season two of lost mike and i are going down the hatch to talk about man of science man of faith which will be in your podcast feeds on the morning of january 31st so feedback is obviously locked for that show uh if you have feedback about the book club we will certainly happily read it uh but we will not be able to read it until our podcast about adrift which is going to be coming in, out in about a, a week and a half from now um so so get that in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email address subscribe if you have not done so already uh down the hatch uh, on your podcast app of choice postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch will take you to the apple feed your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated john where can people find you online so i still have a twitter account i don't use it quite as much anymore i'm kind of out of the big brother game so uh not been tweeting too much uh but john kraus is my twitter handle j-o-n-k-r-a-u-s-e 
Um, and I usually have my DMs open. So like, if you have any reason to talk to me more than just a tweet, like, uh, you can also message me that way. Slide into uh, Mr. Krause's DMs. Uh, Mike is on Twitter at a Mike Bloom type. I'm at round Howard. mm -hmm. Follow at post show recaps as well. Uh, Bloom, what do you got? Anything else? Nothing. I'll save the plug for when we do Man of Science, Man of Faith, because I want to be, <laughs> right. be gracious to John's time. There's a lot yes. going on, but I'll, I talk about it all at a Mike Bloom type, so we'll we'll be back shortly to get into some more loss. Yeah, this is just some bonus loss coverage for you guys, as I know that a lot of people have been patiently waiting to get back into the episode recaps proper. Uh, that five-hour Exodus podcast, it seems like people actually did chew on that pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. It was a bit of a, bit of a surprise. Yeah, and then they, to- <laughs> to and they tore through our two-plus-hour feedback show as well, so we got to keep them satiated, but we're happy yeah. for the hunger out there. Absolutely. So we'll be back with the proper re- uh, episode recaps coming very, very shortly with Man of Science, Man of Faith. Until everybody, take care. Bye. See you in another life.